0: Well, open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew in front of you there. You'll find this on uh, page 793 or 834 of the pew Bible. And i decided we're going to read verses uh, 13 through 38 together. It is a long passage, and so I'll try to sort of pick up the bookends of that as we go through the sermon of this morning, but the title of this morning's message is God's Deliverance in Desperate Times. God's Deliverance in Desperate Times. You know, there are people, in fact, it's really probably all of us at one time or another, where we're in such a place as some of the lines in that song say, where all I did was stay still, all I did was praise. And there are times when I can't even muster that up. All I all I do is just lie still because I can't even muster the faith to praise anymore. Desperate, desperate times and God is deliverer in those times. That's the message title and the theme from Acts 27, 13 through 38. Let's look at that together now, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Paul and others have boarded a ship and launched en route to Rome, and we pick up in verse 13. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught, we could not face the wind. And could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting, hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out the anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, as always... We come to the scriptures, Lord, with the firm belief that they are your word, that you have spoken in them, that your word is living and active and powerful, and that when it is preached, your voice is heard. And Lord, you know Indeed, how needy a people we are and how much we need to hear your voice. And so we ask that you would speak, Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use me as an instrument to speak what needs to be heard to minister to the heart's of your people today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, if you've been here and following along with us, you know that um, Paul, after finishing his three missionary journeys, went through a series of Hearings and trials in Jerusalem, and then in Caesarea before Jewish leaders as well as Roman leaders, and he made an appeal to Caesar. And so, in Acts twenty-seven, here he is put aboard a ship to make passage to Rome, where he will go um, for that trial. and And the and the book will end in n- next week, uh, in chapter twenty-eight, um, where he is in Rome awaiting that trial, and in between. Is verse is chapter 27 a very detailed account of uh, and gripping account of this shipwreck, and I, and I don't know how it strikes you and and or if you've sort of ever been struck by it as you read uh, through the book of Acts, but there but it but is it is quite detailed and it and it may leave us asking. Actually, we should often ask a question, maybe always ask a question as a matter of biblical interpretation and understanding what what the bible is saying to us we ought to ask the question why did God put this in the bible that's really always a good guiding question what is the point God wants to make that God intended to make in any particular passage of scripture and so it's a good question for chapter 27 why did God put this in the bible and I think the answer is um, at the most basic level, it 's a reminder once again that he has determined Paul will appear before Caesar in Rome. He 's said it multiple times now. Jesus has appeared to him and say, "Paul, don 't fear. No harm's going to come to you. You have to appear before Caesar in Rome." And it 's a reminder again that, that's, that that is the encouragement he receives here in this text don 't worry you 're not going to die you 've got to go to Rome and appear before Caesar." He's determined that that is the plan and that plan will come to pass. It will not be thwarted by a storm. It will not be thwarted by sailors who want to abandon ship and leave the others to die. It will not be uh, thwarted by soldiers who want to put Paul to death. It will not be thwarted um, even by a snake bite on the island of Malta, which happens in the opening verses of chapter 28, which we didn't read here. His plan is going to come to pass. And that's really, I think, the overarching message here. In desperate times, it is God who delivers. Salvation is of the Lord. In fact, let me say up front here, um, in case the point gets lost, uh, you know, um, uh, I've heard a little story of a a pastor who... um, who preached on Sunday morning and had um you know seven points to his sermon and uh, as he got ready to go into the evening service somebody asked pastor uh, how many points is the sermon tonight going to have and he says hopefully at least one and so uh, hopefully there is a point here this morning to the to the sermon but but in case I muddle it and lose it let me let me let me say something up front here um that as I said, God, uh, God is the one who delivers in desperate times, that God is the hero in this story. There's a lot about it that reads like one of these um, epic poems, like the Iliad and the Odyssey. I mean, you know, danger on the high seas and that sort of thing. But God is the hero of the story and you don't have to be. You can't be the hero of your story. And that, that is one of the points we don't want to lose this morning. But I wanna survey briefly um, how the events of the chapter unfold and then consider some principles that we can derive from of that and, and, and apply to our own times of desperation. So I'll try to unpack this or survey this kind of under, under three just uh, sections of the text first. And if we were gonna outline really broadly um, we might say that it opens up with warning signs and then desperate times and then a messy rescue. Okay, warning signs and then desperate times and then a messy rescue, okay? So in the opening verses, chapters, or verses 1 through 12, which we didn't read here, it's where Paul is put aboard the ship under care of this centurion. And they begin to set sail and they're basically going from one port to another along the coast of Asia. It says there in the first few verses. And it is from the outset a difficult journey. So they, they haven't really even gotten into the open water very much yet. They're sailing more along the coast from port to port and it's difficult. And, 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 and those should be warning signs to them. So it says things like in verse um, four that putting out the sea from there, we sailed under lee, of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Um, Under Lee simply means they sailed kind of behind the island to get out of the wind. So if you think about being out on a cold and windy day and where you might step behind a wall to get out of the wind or like duck down behind your car or behind your spouse (laughs) to block the wind for me. Okay, so so sailing under Lee um, is that, really. They're, they're, going, they're going behind the island, so the island blocks the wind. And the winds were against us. It says, it says again down in verse 7, things like, we arrived with difficulty off cnidus The wind did not allow us to go farther. So we sailed under Lee of Crete, off Salmoni. And then verse 8, coasting along it, With difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. And then verse 9, since much time had passed and and the voyage was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them not to go on, is basically what it goes on to say. But you see, the warning signs, in other words, are they really haven't even gotten started. The sailing really hasn't even gotten to where it should be difficult, and yet it's difficult at every turn. The winds against them; they're sailing under lee um, of these islands, and so forth. And and now, uh, time is passing on. They're getting late into the fall, and the fast is over. This would be um, the Yom Kippur or whatever. But it, it tells us that that it's late in the fall, and there gets to be a time in the year where you don't go sailing. In fact, there was a there was a saying um, in the ancient world that. Um, At this time, the seas were closed. The seas were closed. Like everybody knew, you don't put a ship out on the water um, beyond, it it varied depending on who who you were talking to, but actually there was a uh, military guide um, written that, that identified November 11th, interestingly enough, as a time where you didn't sail from November 11th through March. But that's really what's being referenced here is you're pushing your luck if you're sailing this time of year anyway. And the warning sign suggests we ought not to go on. And that's what Paul um, tells him. He is not giving a word from the Lord, so to speak. He's just being observant and just being perceptive. It doesn't say that the Lord told them that. Um, in fact, he says at that time he's concerned that they're gonna lose even their lives if they go on. He'll find out later from the angel, that's not a risk. But he advises them that way, and yet they decide to go anyway. And and I want us to notice then something I I think that'll be important or helpful to us um, as we go on. And essentially what this creates is you've got maybe three categories of passengers on board. You've got those who wanted to sail on. You've got Paul who advised them not to sail on. And you've got some number of people who had no voice in the matter at all. Right, Heading into this storm, in other words, there are essentially people who made a decision to go, Some, one person who advised them not to make a decision to go, and other people who were just victims of somebody else's decision, including Luke and Aristarchus. It mentions in verse uh, 2, I believe it is, that it says we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. This is one of the places in Acts where you've got we passages and Luke places himself in the story, in the events. Luke is on board the ship here. Um, And Aristarchus is too. And and, and the point of that being um, two believers, they're not prisoners. They've not done anything wrong. Like in other words, there's no way you could construe that they deserve to be in this storm, and yet there they are. And again, that'll be uh, relevant as we go along. But sometimes our desperate circumstance is a mess of our own making, as it was for those who decided to press their luck here, so to speak. Sometimes it's a mess of our own making. Sometimes it's a mess of someone else's making. Sometimes it's just a mess. but there were warning signs there which they ignored and it led them into uh, what I described as desperate times. That's really the passage that we read in 13 through 38, and so I won't say um, as much about that in summary, but they think the conditions have turned favorable. It said in verse 13, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along. So conditions have been unfavorable, right? It's been difficult everywhere they've gone. They've had to sail under lee of a couple of um, islands, and and yet they sit here waiting for, is there going to be a good time to depart? And the the wind starts to blow gently, and they say, hey, I think this is the day day to make a go of it. Now, to put it in perspective, they only want to go to Phoenix, another port. It says that they thought Fairhavens was not a good port for wintering in. Phoenix was a better port for wintering in. If they're going to hunker down for the winter, um, Phoenix is better than Fairhaven's for reasons we don't really know. But it's only 50 miles away. It's like a full day of sailing. But when the wind starts to blow gently, they think maybe this is the day. And so and my, my point being, it's actually a reasonable decision, I think, for those who are um, in charge of this ship here. We read it as Christians and go, see, you should have listened to Paul. But to be fair... Why would you listen to the prisoner instead of to the mariners on board? You know what I'm saying. So in other words, they, they try to make a go of it, um, and things turn bad quickly, and they start taking desperate measures. You caught some of them as we're reading along here. They first, uh, they pull up the, uh, the, the essentially, the not really the lifeboat, but the boat where they could row ashore or that kind of thing. They pull that up and try to undergird the ship, it says in verse 17. We don't know exactly what that looked like or the size of the ship, but but essentially the concern is that the, that the ship is going to fall apart. That, that, that the seas are so rough, it's going to break the ship apart. And they start undergirding it in some ways. They could uh, strap it underneath the whole boat or from end to end or different things. But it's essentially like an ancient duct tape job, okay, they're doing here on the ship, just to keep it from being buried Battered and broken apart in the seas, and then um, they start. They they lower some gear, perhaps a sea anchor or something like that, and then the third day jettison cargo, or the, oh, sorry, the next day, the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard. It says in verse nineteen. So additional gear down below. They're just getting rid of stuff. Um, and then let's let's really draw our attention to verse 20 for a moment when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us all hope of our being saved was abandoned all hope of our being saved I think that means Luke includes himself among the hopeless here In fact, the NIV renders it that way. If you're reading the NIV, I think it says, we lost all hope or something like that. All hope is gone. I don't know if Paul's an exception. He doesn't name Paul as an exception because the revelation from the angel hasn't even been reported yet. Everybody has lost hope that there's anything but death in this form. Believer, non-believer, ones who made the decision to go, ones who didn't make the decision to go, everybody is literally in the same boat together on this one. And of course, that follows by this word that Paul shares that he's heard from an angel: Uh, "Hey, it's gonna. I got good news. We're not gonna die." That's as, that's as good a news as I can offer you here. We are gonna run around on some island, he says. And so he encourages them to eat, which they do. And it leads to, as I said here in the, in the concluding verses 39 to 44, this messy rescue. I call it messy because if you are making up a story about God saving you, this is probably not the way it would look, right? He doesn't shake the prison and everybody walks out or anything like that. It's like they barely live. This is like as close to dying as you could come without dying. Where the, the rays of you know, the morning light there in 39 bring kind of a temporary ray of hope. They saw land, but they didn't recognize it, which means they don't normally sail these waters. They don't know if there's a port here on the other side of the island, but they do see a bay with a beach And they think, maybe we can beach the boat there and make it ashore. And so they they raise the foresail, try to guide it in uh, to this bay and then actually strike a reef or a sandbar or something, some kind of formation there. It's rendered differently in in different translations. But but they they beach the boat prematurely. They don't beach the boat. (laughs) They run aground out at sea. The bow gets stuck, the stern gets battered and the ship starts to break apart. So here's the rescue plan. The centurion says, Raise your hand if you can swim. (laughs) Okay, start swimming. (laughs) The rest of you, grab something that looks like it'll float. Godspeed. Hope to see you ashore. That's the rescue plan. That's how God saves every one of them 276 people. A messy rescue, but a rescue nonetheless. But in, in desperate, desperate times, God is a deliverer. And if you live long enough, you are almost certain to fall into desperate times to some degree, at some point. Times when you are well past your wit's end. Like past your wit's end. When, when you despair to the point of hopelessness. And as reference was made earlier in our worship time and prayer, I mean, that could be financial, it could be a relationship that's on the brink of collapse or it's already collapsed. It could be health, that just when you thought things were taking a turn for the better, you get a report for the worse, or symptoms reappear. After, after all of the other battles have been so wearying and you think, here we go again. I don't know if I can go again. Could be a legal situation, maybe a legal situation somebody else dragged you into. Maybe it was a mess of somebody else's making. You weren't on deck when the conversation took place, so to speak, shall we go or shall we stay? Somebody else made decisions that involved you and implicated you, and here you are in a mess of somebody else's making, and yet one you can't get out of, and you're desperate. And on and on we could probably go, where we find ourselves in situations where even in some cases are trying to find meaning again because we've got a relationship where our whole identity and purpose was wrapped up in it and now that's come unraveled. Who are we now? What do, what do I even do now? The life you, you feel like is just being deconstructed before your eyes. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps anymore because you don't have the strength to pull, and even if you did, you threw the bootstraps overboard with you know the rest of the cargo. Because you just gave up. After you've done all the things you think a Christian is supposed to do? You've done all the things you think other Christians think you're supposed to do? right you've prayed and prayed you've put on the shield of faith and and taken up the sword of the spirit you have put on all the armor of God and stood fast and stood firm and you've, you've spoken to the storm and said I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and all those things you think you're supposed to do or others think you're supposed to do and here you are and nothing has budged ever been there? And that's not to discount that all of those sort of features of a faith walk are, are right and legitimate, right? We, we, we ought to, as a default, stand firm and turn to the, the word of God for encouragement and 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 pray without ceasing and And so forth. And not to be moved by circumstances, but align ourselves with the truth of what God's revealed in his word. And on and on. All those things are true and we're encouraged time and time again to walk that way. In fact, Jesus himself, when he was in the storm with his disciples, the storm that he did calm, he said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. But in Acts 27, no one stands up and rebukes the storm. You don't get a picture of Paul standing up on the bow of the ship with his robe blowing in the wind, holding the staff out, turning the storm the other direction. If he did do that, it is not recorded here. God didn't prevent the ship from leaving port, He didn't stop the storm from coming or delay it for a day, just a day. If the storm could have just been held back for a day, they could have made it to Phoenix, to the port. Had a nice, cozy winter. He didn't redirect the storm. He didn't guide the storm, the ship safely to shore. That's really why I wanted to make the point of this being a messy rescue. He saved every life. But not in the way anybody would have asked for um, even if they had to arrive at that point. There are times when as the people of God who named the name of Jesus, who believe all those things I said about, about him, the truth of his word, um, and, and the walk in that truth, there are times when we're brought to the place where we're beyond there. As I said, past, past our wit's end, can't even utter the prayers anymore, perhaps. You're not even sure you really want to. What do you do then? I want to suggest just a few uh, practical things we can do here. And number one is just keep surviving. Did you notice that what they did on this ship? was they just kept staying alive. You know, what's interesting about it is here, and I think at other times in life, there are times when people get get to these kinds of situations and part of them wishes they could just die, and yet another part of them just keeps surviving. Right? There's just that, that impulse to survive. And it's interesting that even after all hope was abandoned, they still, on another day, throw four anchors overboard and pray for day to come. These are pagan people praying. Just keep surviving. I know that doesn't, um, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but there are times where God, very much on purpose, keeps us in a season Of silence, of desperation, of what appears to be a lack of intervention for reasons he doesn't disclose on the front side and maybe not on the back side either. But just keep surviving, just keep breathing getting up in the morning and living through the day and going back to bed the next day. Because even, even when you have abandoned all hope, God has not abandoned you and will not. Number two, read the Psalms. I, 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 I thought of this specifically. I mean, you could just say, read the scriptures. Um. Read the Psalms and even, listen, when you don't want to read the Bible and even when you want not to read the Bible, where, where it, it seems so unappetizing to you. There's nothing in you that desires even to open it up. I know this sounds almost blasphemous for a pastor to be saying in an evangelical church, but I'm just trying to get real because here's what I know is that people who meet these moments, sometimes the most unhelpful people you can talk to are Christians, right? Who give you, who give you the standard line about all those things you ought to do. And you're thinking, okay, so now I'm depressed and I'm a bad Christian. Uh, thank you. So glad we had this opportunity to talk. Sometimes you know, the 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 thought of reading the Bible, it, it's it's like taking a spoonful of sawdust and and. And chewing on it. I mean, there's, it seems the, the opposite of appetizing when you're in that place. And what I'm suggesting is read it anyway. That if you can force yourself to do anything, open the Psalms, even if you, even if you go, you know what, chances are there's, there's nothing in here for me today. There, nothing is going to hit the mark but I'm gonna read one anyway because you, you're, you will run across the psalmist saying the things you want to say but don't even know how to put words to it. Some things you wonder, how did that get in the Bible? <laughs> how did God let, I mean like, how did that make it past the editorial board in heaven? You know? Like Psalm 44 where, where it says in verse 23 and following, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Then you say, oh, maybe there is something in here for me. I'm with him. And if you read on, then you'll run across places like Psalm 55 where you... Are reminded he will not hide himself from your pleas for mercy. Even though the psalmist identifies with that cry, God will not hide himself. And Psalm 121 that says he's not, he doesn't need to awake because he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And perhaps even that'll appoint you to Joshua, Hebrews, which reminds you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Read the Psalms, because there is some outside chance that an angel will appear to you too and give you a word from the Lord, but I wouldn't presume upon that. Uh, your odds are better of opening the scriptures and perhaps... Even in that place of desperation, God would cause the word to live to you and to speak directly to your situation. Number three, begin to ask what God is doing. See, what God revealed here was that there was a plan. He's reminding Paul, you've got to go to Rome. You've got to appear before Caesar. And that's where he took encouragement and actually the others took encouragement when they, when they hear that. Paul says, you should have listened to me the first time, not to rub their nose in it, but to say, um, listen to me now. You know what I said before, mm, that's where we are. And so uh, listen to me now because I heard a word from the Lord and here it is that they're encouraged by that. They eat for the first time in two weeks and so forth. by being reminded that God is doing something here. What is it? You do need to understand, though, that when you begin to ask what God is doing, you may not get an answer to that question. It may, it may not come immediately. And as I said before, it might not come actually at all. It may never be clear to you what God was doing. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job, that's the situation, isn't it? Where there's a conversation between God and Satan, Job's suffering happens as a result of that, and Job never, never knows it. The reader of the scripture does. Job, that's never revealed to him what God was doing there. But here's what I will tell you, that just by asking the question earnestly, that will change your perspective, even if you don't get the answer to that immediately. By beginning to to want to know what is God doing here, that will change your perspective on the circumstances and even others around you. Consider the fact that Paul was the one being saved because he was the one who had to appear before Caesar. 275 other people were blessed because they were on the same ship with Paul. What is God doing and what might he even do in the lives of people around you because of what you're going through and what he wants to do? As I said, God is the hero of the story, so you and I don't have to be. He is the one who delivers in desperate times. And even when you've abandoned hope, he has not abandoned you. I read an article just two days ago And I'll close with this. An interview with Andrew Brunson. Uh, This was in World Magazine just on Friday. Andrew, again, who if you've been here, you know, and and maybe the rest of you, if you've tuned into the news at all, but the uh, EPC pastor who um, was a missionary pastor of sorts in Turkey, who was in prison for two years and then just recently released and came back home. But it was quite an ordeal and a desperate time for Andrew Brunson. And Andrew Brunson was not standing on the bow of the ship with his staff raised high and his robe blowing in the wind the whole time either. It says throughout the ordeal, he had no assurance that he would be set free. He lost 50 pounds during the first year. And in letters to his family, he wrote candidly of his fear and brokenness. And he said, sometimes it's harder to live for God than to die for God. It, it sort of connects with what I said earlier. Sometimes there are people who are in such desperate situations that part of them wishes they could just die. And there's a sense in which that's easier, that seems easier than to go on living for God in the situation you're in. He said, I would rather have been in heaven than in prison. The first year of his imprisonment was full of fear and grief over the uncertainties. He suffered over separation from his family and from Christian fellowship. And then he said this. Listen, especially those of you who are right now in a desperate season and who wonder why, How long, O Lord? Andrew said this, If I'd been let out after the first year, I'd have been lying on the floor, curled in a fetal position with PTSD. The second year, God started to rebuild me. That is a humbling word from somebody whose hardship um, has been greater than probably anybody and everybody in here. And yet to say he, rec- he wanted to get out the first year, make no mistake, make no mistake about it, and despaired to the lowest degree that he remained there. And yet he rec- recognized in the final analysis that it was the second year when God started to rebuild him. Again, I know I know there are those either here right now or there are friends and loved ones of yours who are in a desperate situation right now. And in fact it might even be circumstances you can't put a finger on. You don't know why you feel that way, but but you are beyond the wits end, beyond the 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 prayers and the standing fast in faith, and you you're at that place of just waking up and surviving having abandoned all hope. And I want to remind you today that God is great indeed. That he is the one who saves. That there's a very good chance he is doing something in that situation and doing something in you through that situation that will be far greater to you and far more profitable to you than the miraculous rescue uh, that he could offer early. Perhaps days and weeks past the abandonment of hope as with them on the ship here. There's a messy rescue to come and yet a rebuilt you spiritually as a result of that would you pray with me father we we praise you as our great god lord we need the reminder that this story is about you and not about us that you are the hero here that you are the one who saves, that we don't, we don't look here to, um, to find the, the three spiritual principles or life principles that get us out of the mess. No, Lord, we look here to see we identify with desperate people who are in the mess long after we've done what we know to do. So Lord, I just call out to you on behalf of of those here and those whom we love who are in those kinds of circumstances and pray, Lord, that you would speak just a a word of encouragement, even just a sense of, of encouragement, even one little ray of hope that breaks through because you've not changed and you've not abandoned them. Lord, would you help them to find hope in that truth today? In Jesus' name, amen.